trusting God in the chaos. And we'll be in 1 Samuel chapters 29 and 30. Um, these next couple of chapters that we're going to be covering today, you know, we, we're going to see uh, things are still chaotic for David. You know, in a sense, he is has one foot in the door with the Lord and another foot in the world. We see, we saw how last week he was continued to fight. He was continued to fight the Lord's battles, but you know he didn't trust Him with his own life. No. The last time, as I mentioned, we saw David was back there in chapter 27. And there we're told how in a moment of desperation, he fled to enemy territory and came to live peaceably with the king there in Gath. And he settled his troops, he settled his family, everything there in Ziklag. And then, as I mentioned, the story is interrupted by chapter 28, in which we're told how Saul, in his own moment of desperation, consulted with a medium to speak with Samuel, who had already been dead, and we saw how that entire encounter was way beyond what anyone of them expected. And so, as I said, we're going to be covering these next two chapters. And I think one of the things that we're going to, one of the biggest lessons that we're going to learn here is that whether you know it or not, whether you see it or not, whether you're backslidden, whether you're, you know, in the chaos, God is there. God is there in, in every single obstacle, in every single challenge of your life, and He's working in the background. You may not see it, you may not understand it, you may be completely blind to it, but He's working. And you know, there's a plan and purpose behind it all. And if you are backslidden, if you are haven't been walking with the Lord, it's basically to get your attention, to bring you back to Him, uh, to bring you back into His arms, into that fellowship with God. And so again, we're going to be seeing uh, the story of this continued story of David and how his life had to be essentially interrupted and he came to a place of brokenness and reliance on God. So. Before we get into God's word, let's pray and ask him to speak to us through his word. Oh God, uh, we are so humbled and, and we are so thankful that we were just able to, because of your mercy and goodness, we were able to wake up this morning to a new and glorious day. We were able to look at our spouses, our kids, our loved ones, our, you know, um, our favorite, have taste our favorite coffee, taste our you know, just feel the, the, the warm sun. Um, Lord, it, it's just so amazing, just the, the, the seen and the unseen blessings that you bestow us with, Lord. Um, and so we, we now, where you brought us now here, and we ask that you uh, speak to us loudly, clearly, powerfully this morning, Lord. Many of us haven't heard Maybe there's that people out there who haven't heard you, your word in a very long time. And, and so I, so there's a reason now you brought him here to this space, to this, 
to watch and watching this message to give them a special message, Lord. To hear a, a word from you, Lord. So so speak to them, plant that seed inside their heart, Lord. Open their hearts and ears so they may hear it. Bless those who are here as well, and and may they hear from you as well. So protect this place, Lord, this room. Um, fill it with your wonderful, beautiful Holy Spirit. Um, and may we just have a continued time of, great continued time of, of worship and fellowship, Lord, as we sit at your feet now. Uh, pray this in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. All right, First Samuel chapter 29. The Word of God says, the Philistines brought all their military units together at Aphek, while Israel was camped by the spring in Jezreel. As the Philistine leaders were passing in review with their units of hundreds and thousands, David and his men were passing in review behind them with Achish. Then the Philistines' commanders asked, What are these Hebrews doing here? Achish answered the Philistine commanders, that is David, servant of, the, servant of King Saul of Israel. He has been with me a considerable period of time from the day he defected until, the, until today. I've found no fault with him. The Philistine commanders, however, were enraged with Achish and told him, send that man back and let him return to the place you assigned him. He must not go down with us into battle, only to become our adversary during the battle. What better way could he integrate himself with his master than with the heads of our men? Isn't this the David they sing about during their dances? Saul has killed his thousands, but David his tens of thousands. So Achish so summoned David and told him, As the Lord lives, you are an honorable man. I think it is good to have you fighting in this unit with me. Because I have found no fault in you from the day you came to me until today. But the leaders don't think you are reliable. Now go back, go back quick, quiet, quietly and you won't be doing anything the Philistine leaders think is wrong. But what have I done? David replied to Achish. From the first day I entered your service until today, what, you have, found, what have you found against your servant to keep me from going to fight against the enemies? Of my lord the king. Achish answered David. I'm convinced that you, are reliable, that you are as reliable as an angel of God. But the Philistine commanders have said. He must not go into battle with us. So get up early in the morning. You and your master's servants who came with you. When you've all gotten up. Go as soon as it's light. So David and his men got up early in the morning. To return to the land of Philistines. And the Philistines went up to Jezreel. All right, so by this point, we've, you know, we've, the Philistines and the Israelites are now preparing for battle, preparing to, to go to war with one another. And so here now in this chapter basically picks up right where chapter 27 left off. And so now as the Philistines were, had brought all their military units to be inspected for combat readiness, that's what passing in review is. Um, it could be done in ceremony or it could be done 
you know, for military readiness. We see David and his men, his 600 men or all his, his band, uh, also joining them at the very back of this, of this entire military, assigned military, um, which was being, again, led by HS and, and other military commanders. And so as this small unit was passing by the Philistine commanders, they confronted the king. They were like, wait a minute, there's something wrong here. And they wisely objected to David's presence. Now we see that King Achish tried to defend him, tried to stick up for him, but the commanders became enraged. They told him, send that man back to the place that you assigned, to the place you put him, to the place, to that corner that you told him to stay at. And so that's what they were want. That's what they wanted. That's what they were angry about. And, and why is that? Well, they knew how successful David was, had been in the battlefield. And had even heard about the songs that were being sung about him. And so although it now seemed that he was, David was, with them was now had now joined the Philistines there was still that fear in them that he might want to take advantage of the situation of a chaotic situation in battle and double cross them and they figured that the best way that David could show the ad, the adversary, their enemy, King Saul, that he wanted back in was to present him the heads of Philistine soldiers. Well, this battle, this fight was way too important for King Achish. And he wanted nothing more than for his commanders to be happy, to be focused, to be worry-free, to not have any issues, to not think that the king he didn't like the king didn't have um, he didn't want these commanders to think that he didn't have their support so to show them that he had their back he summoned David and informed him that the leaders felt that he was unreliable and he reluctantly ordered him to and his men to return back to Ziklag. Now, no doubt, this must have been hard for David. It must be hard for David to be rejected by these godless, heathen Philistine rulers. He was on the top of his game. He was a. He won all these battles and he won all these wars and he was, you know. He was puffed up, you know, by all that he had done. But at the same time, he may also have, have had an agenda, his own agenda. And we all know, though, that no one likes to be rejected. And no one especially likes to be rejected from a fool. 
but many times God will use the rejection of fools to show us how foolish we are when we reject him. To maybe speak truths into our lives that, you know, he will use a fool to speak truths into our lives. For those of you who know the story, he used a donkey to speak truth, to, to, to reason with an unre- unreasonable person, to a stubborn person. You know, and you know, like I said, he will use what he needs to in order to shake us up, to show us what's important, what needs to be, what we need to understand, what we need to know. You know, when I was in my backslidden days and drinking a lot, you know, he would use other people that were drinking and just to kind of still poke things truths into my life and you know it was it was hard it was never really easy to live in that world even though i knew you know even though i knew the lord even though i was just trying to you know put him in a box and shut the shut the lid but again he used these philistine rulers to to show him how foolish he he was now, when Achish was done, David, if he did have an agenda, continued his deception by making it seem as though, again, he was hurt, and he may have been hurt, and asked Achish, haven't I proven myself to you? Haven't I shown you my loyalty? And, and remember, again, in, the, in chapter 27, he was fighting you know, uh, he was he was going out and doing raids and battles and here and there, but he was telling the king that he was fighting, you know, other peoples, or he was telling he was fighting the Jews, his his own fellow people, when he was really going out and raiding and fighting, you know, just other other people other than his own people. He was lying to him. Now again, he continued to protest that he should be allowed to enter the fight against the enemies of the Lord, of my Lord, the King. Now, here's an interesting thing, though, about this statement. Whether he was being sincere or insincere, or uh, more than likely he was being insincere, because this was a pretty ambiguous statement. It's not clear who he was talking about. In other words, again, he, it wasn't clear whether about who he was talking about. By saying Lord and King, was he talking about King Saul? Was he talking about Achish? Or was he talking about God? And who were exactly David's enemies? The Jews or the Philistines? Well, Achish assumed that David, that he was David's king. So he ordered him to quietly leave Gath. And so David and his men returned to Ziklag. He was now free from his obligation to fight alongside the Philistines against God's own people and the people that he would eventually be king over. This was a, this was a, David was in a pickle. He was in a predicament. He was ordered and told to fight alongside the Philistines, to fight the Israelites. 
And he hadn't, we're not told that he had made up his mind or that he was going to choose to fight alongside of them or that he was going to double-cross them. He probably thought about what he was going to do. He was, couldn't sleep at night, but he was now free from that obligation. God was working even in that chaotic situation, even in that stressful time. He was working, God was working in the background to ensure that David wouldn't have to be put in a situation where he would have to fight the Israelites, fight his people. Again, he was now free from our obligation. But again, in reality, what we see here was that God, it was God who delivered David from this dilemma by providentially working through the distrust of the Philistine leaders. And furthermore, God also arranged these events in David's life so that he and his men would be able to respond to the upcoming crisis that will be coming up in chapter 30. Now, even though David had seen God working things out so that he wouldn't have to fight against Saul, we're about to see that now he's going to be facing another desperate situation when he returns to Ziklag. And it was going to be hard. It was going to be challenging. I think any of us facing anything like this would find it very difficult. But again, he was trying to get David's attention. God was trying to get God's attention. And usually he does that by removing the very things that we care about the most. Removing them sometimes permanently and other times temporarily. So before I go to 1 Samuel chapter 30 again, I, want, I hope that you see that even in that chaotic situation, in this short, short 11 verse chapter, God was working in that chaotic moment. And maybe David again wasn't aware of it, but he was. It was preparing him to one day be king. So now let's go to 1 Samuel chapter 30 and pick up there, pick up in the story there. 1 Samuel chapter 30. David and his men arrived in Ziklag on the third day. The Amalekites had raided the Negev and attacked and burned Ziklag. They had also kidnapped the women and everyone in it, from the youngest to the oldest. They had, they had killed no one, but had carried them off as they went on their way. When David and his men arrived at the town, they found it burned. Their wives, sons, and daughters had been kidnapped. David and the troops with him, with him wept loudly until they had no strength left to weep. David's two wives, Ahinoam, the Jezreelite, and Abigail, the widow of Nabal, the Carmelite, had also been kidnapped. David was in an extremely difficult position because the troops talked about stoning him, for they were all very bitter over the loss of their sons and daughters. But David found strength in the Lord his God. David said to the priest, Abiathar, son of Abimelech, bring me the ephod. So Abiathar brought it to him, and David asked the Lord, should I pursue these raiders? Will I overtake them? Will I overtake them? 
The Lord replied to him, Pursue them, for you will certainly overtake them and rescue the people. And the 600 men with him went. They came to the the Wadi Basor, where some stayed behind. David and 400 of the men continued the pursuit, while 200 stopped because they were too exhausted to cross the Wadi Basor. David, David's men found an Egyptian in the open country and brought him to David. They gave him some bread to eat and water to drink. Then they gave him some pressed figs and two clusters of raisins after, after he ate them. After he ate them, for he hadn't eaten food or drunk water for three days and three nights. Then David said to him, Who do you belong to? Where are you from? I'm an Egyptian, the slave, the slave of an Amalekite man, he said. My master abandoned me when I got sick three days ago. We raided the south country of the Cherishites, Cherethites, the territory of Judah, and the south country of Caleb, and we burned Ziklag. David then asked him, will you lead me to these raiders? He said, swear to me. By God, that you won't kill me or turn me over to my master, and I will lead you to them. So he led them, and there were and there were the Amalekites spread out over the entire area, eating, drinking, and celebrating because of their great amount because of the great amount of plunder they had taken from the land of the Philistines and the line of Judah. David slaughtered them from twilight until the evening of the next day. None of them escaped, escaped except four hundred young men who got on camels and fled. David recovered everything the Amalekites had taken. taken. He also rescued his two wives. Nothing of theirs was missing from the youngest to the oldest, including sons and daughters and all the plunder the Amalekites had taken. David got everything back. He took all the flocks and herds which were driven ahead of the other livestock, and the people shouted, This is David's plunder. When David came to the 200 men that had, had been too exhausted to go with him, left at the Wadi Basur, they came out to meet him and to meet the troops with him. When David approached the men, he greeted them. But all the corrupt and worthless men among those who had gone with David argued, because they did not go out with us, we will not give them any of the plunder we recovered to them, except for each man's wife and children. They may take them and go. But David said, My brothers, you must not do this with the Lord with what the Lord has given us. He protected us and handed us and handed over to us the raiders who came against us. Who can agree to your proposal? The share the share of the one who goes into battle is the same as the share of the one who remains with the supplies. They will share equally. And it has been so from the day from this from that day forward. David established this policy as a law and an ordinance for Israel, and it still continues today. When David came to Ziklag, he sent some of the plunder to his friends, the elders of Judah, saying, "Here's a gift for you from the plunder of the Lord's enemies." He sent gifts to those in Bethel, in Ramoth of Negev, and in Jatir, to those in. Aror in uh, Shipmoth and Esthemoa, to those in Rakal, to the towns in Jerimelites, Jer- 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 
and the towns of the Kenites, to those in Horma of Bor-Ashan and Athach, and those in Hebron, and those all, and in all the places where David and his men had roamed. Seems, you know, David can't seem to catch a break. As soon as the Lord leads him out of one difficult situation, another one just seems to pop up right afterwards. If you currently are or have been through something similar, then you know that it can be easy to assume, to think to yourself that perhaps God has abandoned me. Well, in this story here, David exemplifies for us the importance of seeking the Lord when life is at his bleakest. Like him, every trial we face, every obstacle that comes our way is meant to shape and mold us to become someone better, someone greater. In David's case, these trials eventually would prepare him for the throne. And in our case, our trials, when we endure our trials, when we overcome and and come out still with our head held high, looking at the Lord and still clinging on to Him. Our trials are meant to prepare us for an eternal kingdom where 2 Timothy 2.12 says, we will reign with Jesus Christ. So, we learn right away that during the events, uh, sometime during the events of chapter 29, the Amalekites had raided Ziklag and had kidnapped the women and children and had basically taken them captive. And so here now comes David and all his men that had just been rejected and told they couldn't fight against the, with the Philistines. And so now they're coming home, maybe tired, maybe just wanting to just relax. And, and when they get back there to Ziklag, they find that the city was in ashes. It had been utterly destroyed by the Amalekites. Now, something to keep in mind, too, that, that David also had suffered in exactly the same way as everyone else had. His two wives were taken and kidnapped. But as often is the case with leaders, he was held responsible for this disaster. Everyone was looking at him. This is your fault. If we hadn't come here, if you hadn't led us here, if you hadn't done this or you hadn't done that, this wouldn't have happened. We would have beaten, we would have held back the Amalekites and our wives and children would have been home right now. And as the thought of losing their sons and daughters continue to fester, as it continues to, to, to boil within the minds and hearts of, of these troops, they started getting, started getting very bitter and angry. And 
talk began. They began talking about possibly stoning David. Never since his flight from Gibeah from, and, and Saul that David now stood all alone. He didn't have anybody. He didn't have his troops. He didn't have his wives. He, didn't, he was absolutely alone. He began probably, you can imagine that he probably began thinking to himself that maybe this was God's judgment upon him for joining the Philistines. If so, David was now broken. He was lost. He was empty. But there was one thing that he knew was constant, and that was God. He knew and understood the character of God. He probably remembered all those lonely nights as a shepherd there in the open field, feeling all alone like he had no one. His brothers didn't pay much attention to him. His dad was just, hey, you go to work. You know, and didn't have much time for friends or social life. So he went back to that time and realized, remembered the character of God. And he found himself. Well, verse 6 tells us that he returned to that place and found strength in the Lord, his God. He went straight to him for comfort and strength when everything and everyone was against him. Now, it's also quite possible that David had this moment in mind when he wrote in Psalm 25, 16, and 17, Turn to me and be gracious to me, for I'm alone and afflicted. The distress of my heart increases. Bring me out of my sufferings. Yes, it took long. It took a lot to bring David to this place. But now he's here. And God is his only strength. David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. And why would God strengthen him? Because God is rich in mercy. And because David was now completely broken, ready to be filled. Sometimes we think we can achieve God's blessing or strength. But David shows us another way. David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. He received the strength and felt it flow through himself and was bold enough to act for it and to receive it from God. Before this, he didn't, he, he didn't see himself as weak. But after coming home to a burnt ghost town that was just nothing but ashes, David knew that he was weak. That he didn't have the strength in and of, its, of himself. He wasn't all-knowing and all-powerful. He needed God's strength. David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. He didn't wait for someone else to strengthen him. 
He didn't say, well, Lord, if you want to strengthen me, that's fine. I'll just wait here until you do it. No, David knew that the Lord's strength was for those who wait upon it or wait upon him. So he strengthened himself in the Lord his God. God's strength was there for David all the time. But now he takes it for himself and will strengthen himself in the Lord his God. David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. There wasn't some kind of, this wasn't some kind of raw, raw cheerleader kind of positive thinking, positive affirmation, you know, uh, you know, thing that, you know, thing he was wanting to happen. This was the strength of the living God, the creator of the universe. God who created man and woman from nothing. Man from dust and woman from the rib of a man who has life in the palm of his hands. This was his strength. And God and this was really you know, he really felt it. He really understood it. And this was his strength in the heart of a hurting man. This was strength for recognition. Recognition. This was strength for brokenness, strength for repentance, strength for determination to win back what the enemy has stolen. This was the same strength that would raise Jesus from the dead. And this is the same strength that will carry you through your own trials and tribulations, through your own difficulties, when you feel like you just can't keep going, that you just don't want to wake up or get up out of bed in the morning. This, the strength of the Lord is what will get you out of bed. It's Him that will carry you through whatever that day will bring, regardless of what happens or what may occur. You know that He is with you. He cares for you and that He won't leave you. And, and that's, that's the thought of the idea of that is, is comforting. And that will give you strength to go on. Well, after being strengthened, he now sought specific guidance. He needed it. So David called on Abiathar the priest to bring the ephod. Now the ephod again would help, you know, help him it would be brought out and it would give specific answers of yes and no, positive, negative. Um, and so he asked the Lord two direct questions. Should I pursue these raiders, number one? And number two, will I overtake them? To which he got a direct reply from him. Pursue them, for you will certainly overtake them 
Not only that, but he gave them an additional blessing. He told them, and rescue the people. So now assured with success, David takes his 600 men and takes off to go after the Amalekites, those Amalekite raiders to rescue their families. But when they reached the Wadi Basor, now Wadi, again, it's another word, basically it's an oasis. So this is a place of, of, of there was water there, refreshment, there was, you know, it was just a place where, you know, there was a lot of rest and relaxation where someone can just chill out. But when they reached that place, they realized it just, there were too, many of them found out they were too exhausted to carry on. Again, they, they had been weeping and crying over their families, and that completely exhausted them. And they had been marching, and they had been, it was nonstop for them. And so when they reached that place, we find out that 200 of them were way too exhausted to continue. And so David was like, fine, you guys stay here. Refresh yourselves, relax. You know, whoever can join me to keep going, to keep fighting, keep looking after these, keep searching for these Amalekites, come with me, and we're going to go fight them. And so leaving them behind, David takes the remaining 400 men who were, again, also exhausted. He takes them with him in search and pursuit of, of uh, these Amalekites. They found an Egyptian in the open country who had been left behind by his Amalekite master to die. He got sick, and his master, his Amalekite master was like, you know, I don't want to deal with you anymore. You're just a slave. You're just my property. I don't care. I'm just going to leave you here in the desert to die. How do you think he felt? Well, they found him, and they helped him out. He was given food and water and as soon as he regained a measure of strength, um, they found out that he knew where the Amalekites were at. So in return for promised safety, he led David to the Amalekite camp. This was the break they needed. This is the information they needed. They've been searching for them, and, and the Lord brought this Egyptian man. Again, God was working in the background. They weren't expecting this. God was working there. And he brought this, Amel- uh, this Egyptian man and brought them to him. And he was able to give the information that they needed. Well, according to the next part of the story, the last thing this partying, drunken Amalekites expected was a surprise guest at their victory celebration. David and his 400 men sprang like a leopard on these partiers and completely overpowered the much larger force. Only 400 men escaped the sword, taking off on camels. The objective had been achieved, and the Hebrew captives were freed, unharmed, But in addition to that, an immense amount of spoil had also been taken 
And all this had happened all within 24 hours. Verses 19 and 20 tell us that David was given the sheep and cattle captured from the Amalekites as his portion. She didn't complain about it. He was like, sure, fine, I'll take the, take the sheep and cattle. However, when those who had fought with him met up with the 200 that stayed behind and rested at Besor, some of the men, some of the greediest men that were with him didn't want to share that the rest of the spoil, the rest of the plunder that they didn't want to share it with them. So after reasoning with them, David made a law. He made an ordinance, and it's still law. It says it's still law to this day that those that um, that those who stayed with the stuff, those who stayed with the supplies, those who stayed behind would share equally with those who went out to battle. There would be no difference. They would all share equally. In the final paragraph, we learn that David remembered, also remembered those who had helped him when he was, had been fleeing and had been a fugitive from Saul. He shared some of his own spoils with the people of more than a dozen towns in Judah, where the people assisted him. The leadership lesson David learned was how to lead even when no one was following. A godly king was to find strength in God even when others would no longer support him. Moreover, he was not, he was not, he was to not allow the selfish motives of wicked men to have influence, but to care for all of his flock. Now, as we or you review what the Lord did for David in this dark hour, in that dark hour of his life, you can better understand how his people, how how he helps his people, how God helps his people when problems and crises come into our lives into, you know, yeah, our lives. First, the Lord encouraged David so that he didn't despair, but trusted the Lord to help him. Whenever a crisis comes, you need the courage to face it. And you mustn't try to blame others or pretend that nothing is wrong. Ignore it, brush it under the table. You must face it. The Lord also gave David the wisdom, wisdom to know what to do and the strength to do it. He and his men were weary. They were tired. But the Lord enabled David and 400 men, 400 of his men, to persevere in their quest for the Amalekite invaders. The Lord also provided David with the facts he needed so that he can find where the enemy was camping in that huge, very big wilderness. When you step out in faith and trust the Lord, he will also guide you 
when you need it. Finally, God gave God gave David and his men the strength they needed to defeat the enemy and recover the prisoners and their wealth. Now, these two chapters has many other applications. There's a lot of things that we can learn here from these chapters. One useful approach would be to consider the ways in which David can serve as a as, as an example of godly leadership. Those of you who are serving or who want to serve in the church, we can see here by David's example what, a good way of doing that. For example, in 20, chapter 29, we see him res- resolutely leaning on God for deliverance while working diplomatically to find his, his, uh, his own way through difficulties. And in chapter 30, we see his unwavering faith, that his unwavering faith is the wellspring of all other actions, which shows him to be persistent, sympathetic, decisive, and full of integrity. Godly leadership, again, persistent, sympathetic, decisive, and full of leadership, and full of integrity. However, here's the thing. If we just limit the application of these chapters to our cultural infatuation with achieving successful leadership, we're going to miss what the text has to teach us about the broader themes of faith and life. See, in general, these chapters can teach us some valuable lessons, some valuable lessons about revelation, authority, and faith itself. But specifically, it raises the issue of how each of us must look beyond ourselves for direction and guidance. And it draws our attention to the all-important question, where do you turn to? in your time of need? Where do you turn to when you're in a moment of crisis? That is one of the most important questions that's being asked here. As Christians, it's it's important that we seek the face of God through the window of his written word. The more you're convinced by the truth found in his word, you will seek to act boldly. You will act boldly on it with confidence and hope. Both of these chapters do an excellent job illustrating for us David's pursuit of God's will in a time of extreme need. He serves as a model for relying exclusively on God's truth, just as Saul is an an illustration of what happens when we reject God's truth. And so these are the choices in life. Endor or Abiathar? The witch or the godly priest? Each of us must choose. 
Now, most of us go through life without giving much thought about it. We don't think about it much. We step on one path or the other without really considering which road we're on or which road we're taking or who's even paved that path. Or worse, we try to make our own path. We, we attempt to redefine them by, we redefine them ourselves by trying to find a new and innovative ways to the truth when the old and proven ones work just as reasonably well. Then the crisis comes as it came for Saul and David. And then that's when we really learn what we believe. So if we as Christians, as believers, seek to find truth and we stake our lives on that truth, we must follow in the steps of David and his reliance on the words of Abiathar. This is a story that is regularly seen, regularly repeated throughout the Bible. And this principle is illustrated in Noah, Abraham, Joseph, Joshua, Daniel, Peter, and Paul. To turn from this tradition is to attempt to discover what has already been discovered and has already been graciously revealed to us. Saul's ultimate failure is, is, in his, is his inability or his unwillingness to accept God's authority as the basis for his reign over Israel. But on the other hand, David not only accepts God's authority, but refuses to proceed until he's certain of it. And again, what we see here is that David serves as an example for every single born-again believer that he is a suitable forerunner for the greater son, the Messiah. So as I close here, I want to ask all of you, those who are watching and listening, are you in a moment, are you in a place of chaos? And you've tried to put your trust, or you tried to get through it yourself, and you're unable to, and, and it's difficult, it's hard, and you don't know how you're going to get through it. Let me tell you that you can with the help of God. If you remember the story where Jesus was sleeping through a storm and his disciples were freaking out. And they, they woke him up and said, Aren't you, don't you care that we're going to die? I'm paraphrasing the story. I'm just you know, saying it. I'm not quoting it, but They didn't, they, they were too scared. They didn't realize, they didn't realize again who Jesus was and how powerful he really was. And so again, the story goes that he 
calmed the storm and basically rebuked them for the unfaithfulness that, again, are you in that storm? Are you in that place of chaos? Well, come to Jesus. As we, we worship the Lord this morning in one of our songs, come to Jesus. Come to him. Seek him for comfort, for strength. Seek him for guidance. The answers you need for every single problem and issue you have is found in God's word. You may think that it is. Let's say you're dealing with some financial issues or you're about to lose your house. or But it's there. It may not be about houses, and but it's there. His answers are there, and he will speak to you powerfully through his word, and you will see him. But you have to believe, and you have to trust him. Now, if you're not a born-again believer, if you don't have his spirit living in you, you're going to look at this book as just any other book, and it's not going to make any sense to you. It's not going to speak to you personally. You're going to look at it as a, maybe as a history book, as a as a like a Greek mythology book. It's it's not going to make any sense to you, any sense to you. The only way he will speak powerfully to you and directly to you is if you have his spirit living in you. And the only way that could occur is if you surrender your life to Jesus Christ. Come to the cross and ask him to forgive you of your sins. Accept that forgiveness. Believe that he rose from the grave three days later and then he ascended to heaven and is now sitting at the right hand of God. If you're ready to do that, if you're ready to not ready to, to, to do that, you've held it off, or is this something you've never heard before? Let me tell you, that's the truth. That is the absolute truth. There's only one way, one truth, and one life, and that's Jesus Christ. So if you're now ready to surrender your life, or even if you've walked away and have been like, like David and living in the world and Come to him before it's too late. Before you have to go through some something crazy like David went through. It doesn't have to get to that place. So if that's you, if you've been backslidden, come to him. Come to the cross. He will forgive you. He will love you. He will accept you. He will not reject you. He will not say, you know what? You messed up. I'm tired of you. You messed, you messed up for the last time. No. His grace and his mercy are never ending. If you haven't, if you haven't yet surrendered your life, and now you, again, as I mentioned, want to come to the cross, I want you to close your eyes and bow your head. And with all your heart, with all sincerity, I want you to repeat this prayer. Lord Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner. And I ask for your forgiveness. I believe now, with all 
my heart that you died for my sins and and know with all my mind that you rose from the dead. So now I repent, I turn from my sins and confess you as my personal Lord and Savior. Thank you, Jesus, for dying on the cross for me and saving me. I accept that forgiveness. So now I ask you to fill me with the Holy Spirit so that he may help guide me in my new born-again life. In your name, in your powerful name, I pray. Amen. If you prayed that, welcome to the family of God. Come to him. He will help you. He will guide you. Seek him through his word. He will speak to you powerfully. Let us know you prayed that. We want to hear from you. Um, we want to help guide you maybe in your next steps of your walk, maybe by helping you find a church. If you're in town, out of town, we want to invite you here to come join us here at Fresh Vision Church in Northeast El Paso. I hope that the Lord spoke powerfully to you. Please feel free to share this message with, with others. Um, thank you again, and uh, God bless you. we see you next week. Uh, goodbye and farewell.